You are listening to Mystified and Thankful Radio, Adoration Over the Airwaves. I'm your host, Reverend Adam Talent. The year is 2021 and the time is now. This is Season 2, Episode 1. To learn more about this ministry, you can go to mystifiedandthankful.com. To follow along on my visual sermon journey, you can find me on Instagram, at mystifiedandthankful. If you're interested, there are opportunities to give financially to support this ministry, where you can purchase artwork or poetry. And if you're new to this program, we have a rhythm that we follow for each episode. First, we have a time of adoration, which simply means to worship. This is our main assignment together, to release adoration over the airwaves. Then we move to a time of poetry, which is followed by a message of the day. In today's message, we're going to be diving into the story of the woman at the well. This woman has an incredible encounter with Jesus at a historic place of significance. She's thirsty, tired, alone, but she becomes a fountain of living water. Are you thirsty in this time? I want to tell you that Jesus is doing more than just satisfying your thirst. He's putting his supply in you. This living water is going to bubble up within you and pour out into everyone you come into contact with. But first, before we dive into that with our understanding, let's open up our program with a time of adoration where we can partake of that living water together beyond what we can think or imagine. Let's drink deep together and enter this time of adoration. For our adoration time today, we're going to partake of the living water. Now, not too long ago, in a world before COVID and travel restrictions, I was in Iceland. It was a life-changing adventure. I was climbing a mountain one day, and there was a natural spring. On certain parts of the hike, the stream was underground, but you could still hear it. It was pure music. I was drawn into worship and felt the glory of God listening to this stream. As I got further up the mountain, there were parts of the stream that were not hidden underground. And so I filled my water bottle. It was so cold and I raised it to my lips and its essence was purity. It was unlike any water I had ever tasted. And I made a covenant with the Lord. I stood over parts of the stream and watched it move. And I made a covenant that I would never trade what was pure for what was sanitized. Now I'm no nutritionalist or a naturalist, but you know, a pure stream has minerals and beneficial realities to it. It's living, it's living water. Its movement is able to filter itself. A pure stream is safe to drink, even though it has rocks and moss and dirt, and even, let's be honest, animals peeing in it, it's pure. Sanitized water is a bit different. 
It's safe to drink, but it's had all the harmful bacteria and impurities removed by boiling it or other means. But when this happens, it's not just the impurities that are removed, it's the life itself, the minerals, the beneficial properties. While it's safe, it's not beneficial. It's empty, it's sanitized, it's missing something. My friends, my word to you today is that it's time to worship the Lord in purity. Living water can handle your imperfections, your insecurities, your addictions, your political concerns, whatever it might be. It filters all of that out by its movement. So as we approach the throne of God, you don't have to sanitize yourself. You don't have to boil out your imperfections. You were never the one that made yourself worthy to approach the throne anyway. So stop boiling yourself before you worship. Don't boil your worship. It leaves a wet nothingness. You can feel it in your spirit, can't you? When worship is sanitized, boiled down to be safe, saying all the right things, doing all the right motions. But while something may be safe, it doesn't mean that it's beneficial or that it has life. It's time to worship in purity. So Lord, we hold out our hands to you and we drink. We drink of your living water. We give adoration to you, the water of life. Lord, we bless you. We worship you in every way that you know how. Will you worship the Lord with me right now? Hold out your hands in the pure stream and say hallelujah to the Lord. Today's poem was written a couple days ago during the snowfall. Watching it fall by the streetlight, all I could do was sing over and over, I'll fall like the snow. And I was watching it gather on the ground, and I went outside, and then it started to rain. So it was raining on top of the snow, and it was just really beautiful. It's been a year this week since I suffered my head injury. And ever since, I've been 
more sensitive to the light. Soft and light. I'll fall like the snow. Soft and light, falling slow. I'll fall to the earth, softly lit, a pure birth. From the height to the depth, from the nest to the crest. Can you hear me in the rain? Soft light healing pain. I'll rise as a cloud from the grave, from the ground. Overseas to decree, I'm alive, I'm free. Hey, if you liked that poem and you would like a hand-typed copy of it and a personal letter from me, go to mystifiedandthankful.com. Under contact, select poetry request. Include your address in the request form, and for a small donation, I'll get that out in the mail to you. Your donation goes to helping this ministry get into more ears and more hearts. Here we are. It's the point in the program where we have a message of the day. Now, as I like to tell you, make sure you read this story for yourself. See what the Holy Spirit might open up to you as you read this on your own. I'm going to be skipping around in this story. We're going to be in John chapter 4. It's the story of the woman at the well. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you come and encounter each listener as we go through the story of your glory. Now the chapter starts out, and Jesus is frustrating the religious leaders of the day, as he tends to do even now. They're getting worked up because of how many people he has baptized. The chapter opens up that saying this is the reason for him going back to Galilee from Judea. And it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. I believe it wasn't just a route requirement, but a magnetic pull. Something, someone, was pulling Jesus there in the Spirit. He needed to go. He comes to this historic place. It's where Jacob's well is. Now Jacob is a father of the faith in the Old Testament. And this is a place of historic and prophetic significance. It's not random, it's not chance. This is a divine appointment. Some of you have found yourselves in this time in what appears to be a random situation, at a random time, at a random season. And I want to tell you that there is more significance. There are more prayers. There are more promises that have soaked into the ground around you than you even know. Heaven's timer is not off-centered. It's not too slow. You're right on time for where your encounter and your destiny needs to be. Now Jesus is sitting at the well and the disciples go into town to get supplies. They're getting some lunch. 
And while they're gone, a woman comes to draw water while Jesus is sitting at the well. But it's at a certain time of day where women didn't usually come to draw water. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You like to go to the grocery store at noon because you don't want to run into anyone. But this woman, she's not going at noon because of her introverted tendencies. It's because she's been isolated by a broken society. This is her shame talking. Her insecurities are not just an internal reality. They're imposed by society and the people that have rejected her because of her history. Jesus sees her coming to draw water, and he does a bold thing. He asks her for a drink. He's right on time. His disciples have gone into the city to get food. He's sitting there alone in what pulled him into Samaria was this woman. The woman responds with an appropriate question. Why would you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now you see, this woman wasn't just rejected by her own people. Jews and Samaritans have had a long, ugly, painful history with each other. There was extreme animosity that existed between the two people groups. There were faults on both sides, terrible acts of terrorism and hatred. Like all human stories of fear and brokenness, a deep racism and prejudice existed between the two people, both feeling like victims to each other, both feeling like the other was a threat, both feeling righteous in their hatred of the other. It was a theological animosity. It was a racial animosity and it was a territorial animosity. It was demonic. Now Jesus looks at this demonic divide and he does what he always does. He stays at peace and he walks past it because no divide can keep out his love. Now these divides still exist today. They look similar then I mean, these divides between the Jews and Samaritans were not spurred on by passive-aggressive divides on social media used to create distance with an algorithm feeding hatred on an addictive screen. But it was not unlike the seeds of hatred that are being confronted in our own hearts and nation today by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to recognize that not all my listeners are in the U.S., but I'm sure wherever you're listening to this, You can see in your own region in the world where these demonic seeds get planted. These demonic seeds of animosity are agreed on through both sides of an argument. Can you hear me, beloved? Some groups seem so polarized that they have nothing in common, but they actually have a lot of agreement. They both agree with the same spiritual reality while feeling intellectually superior to the other. The Lord is cleansing this illusion in our world right now. Just because your political opinions or affiliations have changed over the years doesn't mean your spiritual realities have. You just have a new list of people to hate, a new list of people to destroy, a new talking point in the same direction. We need the living water, don't we? Jesus responds to her question, acknowledging the societal divide without answering her question. 
He says, if you recognize God's gift, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would be giving you living water. The woman responds, sir, you don't even have a bucket, and this well is very deep. Jesus is speaking about the spiritual reality, and the woman is replying with the natural limits. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who built this well? Remember, Jacob is the father of the faith in the Old Testament, who generations before this moment built this very well. And she's saying, are you greater than our forefathers, our founders, our heroes? Don't you know the history of the place that we're in? Jesus replies again, not directly answering her. Isn't that how the Lord interacts with us? He's not trapped or confined to our intellectual arguments or reasoning. Instead, he's speaking truth that's piercing her heart and shifting the spiritual atmosphere. And he starts prophesying to her. He says, everyone who drinks of this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give will become to those who drink it a spring of living water. And that water will bubble up into eternal life. She responds to the prophecy, Sir, please give me some of this water, that I may never have to come to this well again to draw. Can you hear her longing? She's not just thirsty. She's tired. Can you hear it in her words? How many of you aren't just thirsty in this time? But you're tired, weary, exhausted, tired of drawing your own water. Jesus replies to her in her openness and in her vulnerability, not with immediate comfort, but with a deeper question. She opens up to him that she's tired, but he, in all gentleness and kindness, knows unless her heart will open up into the deeper place, she will remain thirsty. He's longing for her to have a deeper drink. And he says to her, go and call your husband. And this is a surgical knife cutting into her wounded heart. She responds to Jesus, I have no husband. Speaking her emotional reality, she had no one to care for her. Now this is called a word of knowledge. It's a supernatural gift. It's where someone can know something about you by the power of the Holy Spirit without you ever telling them any information. Jesus looks at her inner pain and inner self-protection, and he says, you've told me the truth. You don't have a husband, but you've had five husbands in the past, and the man you live with now isn't your husband either. There she is. She's seen in all of her rejection and the mess of her own heart. She replies, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She gets triggered. She responds in some fear. She doesn't want to be seen any further. What does she do? What do we all do when we're afraid of that deep internal place that is exposed by love? 
she changes the subject. She brings it back to the divide, the animosity, the societal arguments. Her heart is warmed in a way that she hasn't felt in a long time, if ever. But she's scared. So she brings up the first argument that will fight back her tears. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship in Jerusalem. She's trying to go back to where she feels safe. The intellectual arguments, politics, religion, territorial arguments. Jesus prophesies again and says, Believe me, a time is coming when you and your people will worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He gives her the offensive message that salvation is coming from the Jews because he himself is a Jew. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And this is what the Father in heaven is looking for in people to worship him in. God is spirit, and it's necessary to worship him in spirit and in truth. There she is. She hears all of this and her heart's feeling once again warmed. And she says, I know the Messiah is to come and he'll teach us about all these things. And he responds, I am he who speaks to you. It was in this moment, listeners, that the disciples return with the food from the city. They have been gone this whole time getting food and they judged Jesus in their hearts upon returning. The scriptures say they questioned him in their hearts, asking, what was his intentions with her? Do you know why they asked this? Let's rewind. Jesus is traveling through Samaria to get to Galilee. It said he had to go through Samaria. Something is drawing him there. He arrives at Jacob's well at the perfect time and runs into this woman. What is the significance of Jacob's well? It's a place of romance. If you were living in that day, you would have heard stories of the fathers of the faith. They met their wives at the well. Moses, Isaac, Jacob. This is Jacob's well. All of them find their wives at a well. Each story is significant to the culture of that time. The disciples are questioning Jesus, not because Jesus is untrustworthy but because they're picking up on the significance of what he's doing. He's calling a bride on the earth. The numbers are so prophetic. She's had five husbands. She's living with number six, and here sits number seven. The number of completeness. The Messiah. The woman goes back and she preaches the gospel. The rejected one becomes the evangelist. Her heart is healed, and that living water Jesus prophesied of bubbles up within her, and the whole region is changed from her encounter with God. How many of you can relate to this woman? You're thirsty, you feel alone. You're gathering water at a well when no one else is near. You've been fed seeds of division culturally through your algorithms and your families or whatever it might be. Your spirit is parched. It's hard for you to believe that you could never thirst again, much less become a fountain of living water yourself. 
Your politics look passionate, but you feel lost. Your religious arguments look certain. Your philosophies are strong when you're facing opposition, but you know that you're dry. From your opinions to your isolation, you've used it all as proof to the world that you're a strong person, a strong woman, a strong man, but you know that you're dry. You have no life source. I want to tell you today, the Lord sees you. One of his names in Hebrew is Elroy, the God who sees. He sees you and he sees me. Do you want to give your life to him right now? You don't have to intellectually understand everything. Can you hear his living water in your spirit? Are you parched? It's time to drink deep. Hold out your hands and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I drink of your living water. I repent of my sins and my imperfections. And I say, I no longer want to be the Lord of my own life. Will you be my Lord and Savior? I accept you as my number seven, my bridegroom of completion. Will you baptize me in your love and make me a new creation? I want this living water to bubble up within me and I give my life to you. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, write me on mystifyingthankful.com. I'd love to give you some artwork and a free Bible and help you find a worshiping community near you. The angels are rejoicing over your new life in Jesus. So am I. And so are the other listeners on this program. I want to say thanks for listening today. Make sure to join for more episodes this season. We have some special guests planned out for some other episodes. And I believe God's doing more than we can think or imagine. I'm Reverend Adam Talent. The year is 2021 and the time is now. Join me next time on Mystified and Thankful Radio as we release Adoration Over the Airwaves. <laughs>